0: In 1 Samuel chapter 28, uh, 25 verses tonight we will cover, and the theme throughout the whole series has been that Jesus is king. So we're looking at uh, the Israelites putting their their faith in a king on earth and how that didn't work out very well, and how we as believers are reminded uh, no matter what's happening, no matter what uh, presidential election might be taking place, no matter who is over us on earth, we always have Jesus over us in heaven, and he is our Lord and uh, we bow to him. None will replace him, and First uh, Samuel reminds us that we shouldn't seek uh, for anything to replace him. And so, tonight, in First Samuel 28, we're going to be talking about uh, seeking God versus seeking relief. Seeking God versus seeking relief. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that here in just a little bit, but last night uh, was not unlike most of our nights nowadays at home. Silas, he is... Um, he, oh, I love the little boy, but he is a maniac at night. Not, he goes to bed because he started skipping naps. He goes to bed at like 6.45 and usually sleeps until like 7 or 8 in the morning. Uh, but sometimes he'll wake up for an hour or two in the middle of the night. Other times he'll wake up just three or four times. And last night was one of those where he woke up three or four different times. And one time, he woke up just screaming. He was yelling, "Help! Help! Help!" I mean, he was frantic, like someone was uh, chasing him or something. And uh, Tara, she jumped out of bed and she ran down and um, tended to him. And then he cried a couple hours later, and she went back and he cried a couple hours more. And then I went back and we we were with him on and off throughout the night. And so at lunchtime when I came home, I was asking her, I was like, what in the world was going on last night? She said she went down there and he <laughs> he was on the floor crawling at like three in the morning around his room from corner to corner. And he had his head down and he was just like grinding it on the carpet and running from her. Like she, he thought she was being, he was being chased by her. And he, she was heartbroken because she was holding him and she, he was in a dream and he didn't know what was going on. And just crazy things happening in the little mind of a two-year-old, and I, uh, I asked her, "Well, what did Silas say this morning when you talked to him?" You know, because sometimes we ask him, "Hey, you remember last night?" You know, and she said, "He said he slept good. <laughs> <laughs> he slept good. He, somebody did, yeah. He like he doesn't even remember any of this, and that's what happens every day. Like he is crazy at night, and he remembers none of it." And we're looking at each other saying, he is way off track and he don't even know it. And tonight might be one of those nights for you spiritually. Now I, I'm not intentionally hoping, uh, like I, I'm not hoping in any way, shape or form that you are. Uh, and I, I'm not wanting this to be uh, hard on you. But I believe that tonight is one of those, again, heart checks where you might think that your relationship with God was right where it needed to be. Maybe you were raised to think Um, the ways that we're going to be talking tonight. And then you find out you were way off track. Like your communion with God was not what you thought it was. And so we're going to be looking uh, at verse 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 25. 1 and 2 is just two verses on David. And we see David Um, obviously in a foreign land with just a few troops. He's serving a king that he once killed thousands of his soldiers. Now he's serving that king. His life is crazy, and yet he has this contentment, this peace, and he's continuing to be faithful even in a foreign land. For some of us, when we get cut off in traffic in the morning time, like our lives fall apart, and yet David, his life has been thrown for a loop, and he is still doing just fine when it comes to his relationship with God. And you see in scripture, David was known. He was known for being a man after what? God's own heart. Like think about all the things God could say about you that would be glorifying to him. He could say, well, you served me with all his life. He gave everything he owned um, to me. He did all these things. No, he's a man after my own heart. Like In God's economy, that's what matters most. Not just that we serve him, or or we hang out with him, or we confess him as Lord, but that we seek his heart, because we know David had lots of flaws. But he sought God's heart. This is the core of all relationships, is it not? This is why we have the old adages where girls and guys date, and if it's really going well, the girl might say something like, well, he he is trying to steal my heart. Or a little baby is born, and the parents look down and smile at it, and they say, this little baby has my heart. This is what is important. And you know, if you've been in a relationship, a marriage, if there's ever a point where you stop caring about the other person's heart, you can live with them, you can serve them, but if you don't care about their heart, it's not going well. It's not going well. And on the flip side, we see Saul. In verses 3 through 25 tonight, he's going to be the negative example of what not to do. This is the epitome of Saul. He's got all the troops, he's got the promised land, and he is still the king. And yet, his life is in shambles. Because on the outside, it looks like he's seeking God. He gives God lip service, but he is not seeking God. He's simply seeking relief. Now, when I say that the theme tonight is seeking God versus seeking relief, know that uh, I understand Seeking God is relief, right? Seeking God is relief. And that seeking relief, meaning seeking a change in your circumstance, um, seeking physical or emotional healing, all these things, seeking um, whatever it might be, provision, these things can all be very good. But if you get to the point in your walk with God where that that is the gist of your communion with God, is wanting his blessing, wanting his provision, wanting gifts from him, and not realizing he himself is the gift. Then you've missed the boat. So, I want to challenge you tonight. Are you seeking God's heart? Are you seeking God's heart? And we're going to see four things, again, from Saul's negative example. Four things that we know we're seeking God and not just relief from our circumstances. So let's walk on through this. Chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Now in those days, the Philistines, remember those are the enemies to the Israelites, garnered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish, that's the king that David is now serving, said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Akish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, "Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life." The word bodyguard in Hebrew actually means head covering, or, or though to cover the head. You remember uh, David's background with Philistines and their heads? A guy named Goliath. He chopped his head off. Crazy what God can do with a man who once was famous for killing the best soldier in the Philistine army, and now the Philistine king is saying, "I want you to cover my head. I want you." to protect this thing. So this is David. He's, he's in a foreign land, but he's still doing all right. Now we're going to see in the next chapter, he doesn't fight against Israel. He doesn't have to turn his back on his people. God bails him out in this. But now we move on to Saul. Now Samuel had died. I told you last week it was going to get weird tonight, Uh, right? It's kind of spooky Halloween time of the year. It's going to get weird. This is important. Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers, so a medium is someone who uh, can speak between the living and the dead. A necromancer would be um, a spiritist, some of your translations might say, uh, being someone who can conjure up the dead. We're going to talk about that after a while. Out of the land, so the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa, and Saul gathered. Excuse me. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So he's not doing as good as David. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim. Remember, the Urim is something that the priests, the Aaronic priest, whom Saul, ironically, killed most of, except for the one who fled and is now hanging out with David. It was something that they had, they called an ephod. It was uh, this dress-like thing that they would wear, but it was also this, um, it's kind of unclear. Scholars don't know exactly what it was, but some kind of tool that they would use to intercede and to hear from God. Something they used in the Old Testament. Or by Urim, or by prophets. Remember, he killed most of the prophets too. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. See, cast the mediums and necromancers out. But now he's seeking a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Indor. Now Endor is actually on the other side of where the Philistines are currently camped. So he's so desperate. He's willing to risk his life. He's terrified of how big the Philistine army is. And yet he's going to go over there to find a medium. First thing we see signs that you're seeking God's heart and not just relief from your circumstance is Perseverance. Perseverance. Saul obviously did not show perseverance. Again, there's two camps. One, David, he's content. Two, Saul, he's terrified. Seeking God's heart is directly related to the tangible peace and comfort you experience in the Lord. Oftentimes, people find themselves not very fired up for the Lord. It's hard to be seeking God's heart and not be fired up. It's hard. You think again about the best relationships you have on earth. And it's when you have that conversation at night with your spouse or your friends, where you stay up and the hours fly by because you're having a heartfelt conversation. It's when you hear the heart of those you love and you pour your heart out to others. That's what fires you up in relationships, and it's no different than with God. But Saul, he's terrified, and he even prays to God, he seeks God. But then, he abandons it. He's seeking God, and then he's like, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else. How many times have you prayed to God for an answer, and you didn't hear anything, and so you just kind of moved on? Now, sometimes, granted, in life, you got to go with, your gut. you got to trust the Holy Spirit in you because you've got to make a decision quick. But, How many times, whether it be with a job or with a relationship or you fill in the blank, have you sought God and at first it seemed pure and it seemed great and then you didn't hear what you wanted to hear or you didn't seem to hear anything at all and so you just moved on to someone who might give you some advice? I think it happens all the time. You see, God's promise is that if we seek him, we will what? We'll find him. But he doesn't give us a time frame, does he? And Sue, we look at waiting on the Lord, this biblical concept of waiting on the Lord as somewhat of a punishment, but it's not a punishment. It's God testing us because God wants to know if I don't answer you, if I don't give you direction, will you still pursue me? Like, do you care about my heart? God wants to know. God doesn't ever want to get to the place in his relationship with you to where you're simply clocking in each day and you're clocking out at night and you're serving and you're going on with life and then we have what? Religion. And he, he wants you to be as fired up today as you were the first day you believed. He wants you to seek that heart. And some of us, I think, are stagnant in our walk with Christ because we've reduced our communion with him To him simply being a stoplight or a slot machine. A stoplight in the sense that we come to him and our prayers are filled with, uh, God, tell me to go left or, or to go right. God, show me, do I do this or do I do that? Again, not a bad thing, but if that's all your prayers are, it could be. Or a slot machine. God, I need provision in this. I want blessing in that. Can you provide? And God's saying, I'm much more than a stoplight or a slot machine. You're missing the boat. You're missing the boat. What makes up your prayers? If you had to dissect them, if you had to look at at your prayer life and see, man, how many of your prayers are, God, I love you. Uh, I want to know you. I, I know i got things going on today. There's decisions to be made, and I'm, I'm going to trust, God, that, that you're going to answer uh, those and help me to know what to do. But, God, I, ju- I just want you. I just, I just want you. And you don't even sometimes know what to say, but you just, your heart is crying out. It says in Romans that the Spirit of God it, it speaks for us when our heart doesn't even know how to put it into words what we want to say. Like we, we, you just have those moments. How much of your prayer life looks like that? Let's be honest, most of us, if we had to dissect our prayer life, it's a whole bunch of stoplights and slot machine kind of interactions, isn't it? Not bad, but if that's all it is, that might be why we're not very in love with God right now. And if you find this is the pattern in your life, you might find that you're seeking relief, answers, or guidance more than you're seeking God himself. You see, perseverance always shows what we really want. I learned this in pretty early in ministry. I was blown away. I was naive. at how many people, even in Utah, would come in to a worship service, and, and they would have their lives falling apart relationships ended, someone broke up with someone, or they had drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and they would come and they would break down in tears in a worship service. And, and I'm thinking like, man, God's doing something. This is amazing. And afterwards they say, I need help. I need help. And I would share the gospel with them. And they say, yes, I want this. It's great. And then sometimes I'd never see him again. That's it. See, once their circumstances changed, they left. It broke my heart. It still does. I remember not, well, probably about six months ago, I sat down with someone in my office, a young man who had just been, uh, just had his girlfriend break up with him, and he was devastated because he thought they were going to get married and whatnot, and I remember asking him because he said that she didn't really want to follow God, and I asked him, what happens like you're here today and you, you say you want to follow God. He was telling me how he wanted to give his life right and all this stuff. What happens if you get back together? If she calls today and says, I made a mistake, I want to get back together. Knowing she doesn't want to follow God and you're wanting to now follow him, what are you going to do? He said, well, I think, I think I'll follow God. And I said, you do understand your circumstance with her is going to change. And if it's not with her, some other girl is going to come along. Like You're not going to be in this place of brokenness forever. Are you still going to want God? They got together next week. I hadn't seen him since. And my heart breaks because I know how this circle goes, right? Some of us live our whole lives that way. I get to the point with benevolence calls where people come and they, they need just a few bucks for gas or whatever, and they make this promise. I'll be in church. I promise I'll be in church. I said, please don't. Please don't. Don't even say it. It's okay. We're just blessing you because this is God's grace. You ain't got a promise. Because you know how many of them have ever come to a church service that I know of? Probably very few, if any. Because they don't really want God. They want relief. Is this making sense, what I'm saying? It's a big deal. Some of our... Our relationships with some people, their relationship is completely built on relief, and that's why their walk with God is so up and down. When life gets bad, they cling to Him, or at least so they think. When life is good, they gone. You don't see them. You don't see them. It's true, though, that God, he, um, he uses financial hurt, emotional, physical hurts to draw, him, draw people to himself. This is why Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God, right? Because he doesn't see his need. So God uses the things in this world, the, the broken things, to draw us to himself. The difference, though, between, between the watered-down church that some of us have seen and true disciples is that true disciples come because most people in this room, let's be honest, my, myself included, we all came to God because something in our life was broken, right? And, and we were coming to Him wanting relief, but we found out that He Himself is better than what we were looking for in the beginning. It, it's like going to the doctor for a common cold and leaving with the cure for cancer. You're like, I did not know that I was going to encounter something this amazing, but I'm not really worried about my cold anymore. The world could be changed by what just happened. I'm changed by what just happened. So we all come to him because we want relief, but it's why you stay that matters. Do you want his heart? Or do you want His blessings. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me, by a divine being conjure up for me by a spirit. So he knows there's something spiritual going on. He just says, By a spirit. And bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for, me, for my life to bring about my death? So she just thinks, she doesn't know it's Saul, but she thinks someone's going to rat on me and I'm going to get in trouble because Saul obviously doesn't want me around. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, oh boy, he's gone astray. No punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Remember, Samuel's dead. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So she's obviously getting some revelation right now. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Second sign that we see when it comes to whether we are seeking God or relief. If you seek God, there is no compromising in it. There is no compromise. So Saul obviously compromises. First, he seeks a medium, right? And if you look at Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 20, 1 Chronicles 10, it is against the Torah, against the Israelite law to have mediums and necromancers, spiritists in the land, because it's obviously not of God. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Then he, he, he finds a medium and he seeks Samuel. So it's not, he's not seeking God anymore, he's seeking a dead dude. You know life is rough when, when you're seeking a dead dude to tell you how to live. And it's fitting that she says she sees a God coming up from the earth. Of course, in her mind, it's a God. It's no God at all. A God coming up from the earth. Isn't this what Saul has always wanted? He wants a God that's not the God of the heavens and earth. He wants a God here on earth. He wants a God. That's what happens when you compromise, when, when you commit idolatry by saying, you know what, I know I got the Lord and I can seek his heart and I can find all the fulfillment I need in life in him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find it in other things as well. You're seeking a God from the earth. Now let's talk about this whole weird spiritual stuff for a second. There's a little bit of a lack of clarity on exactly what is going on, but she is conjuring up this spirit. Now, you need to know um, from a biblical worldview, none of this will be, um, when you hear about mediums and necromancers, there's not like a, a good version of it, right? God, in this particular case, has a supernatural ability, obviously. He always does. But in this case, he shows a supernatural ability to bring up Samuel. But... It's obvious, based on the fact that she shrieks, she screams, that she was not expecting this to happen. Meaning her whole job had probably been built on lies. At the very least, it's just demonic. At best, she just lied to everyone that she, that came to her for help. She was not expecting to see someone. Right? And so God, it looks like, Brings up Samuel. Now, exactly how he brought Samuel up? When people died in the Old Testament, similar to the New Testament, they went to, um, they, they were obviously dead on earth, and their understanding in the Old Testament was pretty limited as to where dead people went. They knew uh, this concept, as, as God revealed it throughout history, uh, of heaven and hell, but we see Jesus coming to unlock the captives, to set them free. And so this general understanding, um, if you look at uh, Luke 16 and the, the rich man and Lazarus, that there was what we'd call Hades, this, this place to where there was obviously a great chasm between those who were going to go to hell and those who were going to heaven, and you could not bridge that gap. But then Jesus, through his death and resurrection, sets the captives free. There's no need for this Hades anymore. There's heaven, there's hell. There's either being with the Lord or apart from the Lord. So did God conjure him up from Hades, or did he just conjure up his, his body from the dead? Hard telling exactly what happens in this case. But it's obviously not uh, some gift that she has from God. This is, um, this is God doing it in this case. Okay, so back to the problems. The first problem Saul had is that he stopped seeking God. He didn't persevere. The second problem is that he sought relief in the wrong places. Isn't it interesting that in this passage it says, by the medium herself, Saul kicked us out of the land. Saul, for as flawed as he is, actually does the right thing. She's gone. And yet he is going to find comfort in the one thing he once condemned. You ever been there before? You ever condemned something, said, oh, I'd never do that. Oh, I would never be like those people. And then all of a sudden, you live long enough. We all stray a little bit. and You find yourself making the same mistakes you maybe grew up condemning. The obvious ones. Maybe you grew up with an alcoholic in your home, so I'd never do that. And all of a sudden, you're kind of depressed and you're drinking too much. Relationships? I'd never, I can't believe, why would girls stay in abusive relationships like that? And then you find yourself. When the shoe's on this foot, all of a sudden it makes more sense how people got to where they get. Doesn't make it okay. But you live long enough and you realize, man, We all make mistakes and sometimes we find ourselves doing the same things that we once condemned. Let me ask you right now, are you compromising knowing that everything you need in life more than what you need in life life in abundance is found in jesus and jesus alone you have access to the throne of god through the good news of jesus christ he has ripped down the veil you can be with god in god hidden in god you can find life in god are you compromising right now and if you want to know are you compromising let me ask you who has your heart what has your heart have you ever been in a worship service maybe on a sunday morning where everyone around you is singing praises to the lord and you can't focus because you got worries and stress on your mind you got things you got thoughts running through your head why because all kinds of things in the world got your heart they got your heart if you want to know what has your heart, what has your energy and attention? What has your energy and attention? Because we can say, you know what I want to come to cross training uh, I want to, I want to hear uh, God's word I want to follow God but then we all leave here and uh, we have some conversation and we jump back in our cars and we go off and then we find out what has your heart what 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 has your attention what has your energy what do you want? And are you finding more enjoyment on what you're going to do between now and bedtime tonight uh, than you are in communion with the Father? For some of us, we get off work at night and our hopes are in uh, Netflix more than they are communion with the Father. What has your heart? You see, compromise happens when the not-so-great things make themselves look better than they really are. And that happens when you take your eyes off the one who truly is valuable and you see the not so great things here on earth in contrast to one another. Like for the world, they see relationships and they say, yeah, I have the best amazing relationships, get married, have kids, you know, just that's all as good as it gets. Or, or find a career that you're good at, that you like. People say that all the time. Just find what you like and you work your way up the ladder and you just get as high as you can on it and it'll be great. Others say, no, you got to find the hobbies because the hobbies, that's what it's all about. You can do whatever you're nine to five, Monday through Friday, but if you find what you like on the weekend, you can just live for the weekend. In worldly standards, you could argue, well, this is a little better than this and I, you know, relationships, I value more than climbing the ladder. Compared to each other, yeah, one rises above the next. But none of them are great (laughs) in comparison to what we have in Christ. All of them come in proper perspective when we are caught up and focused on Jesus and seeking his heart and his kingdom first. And then you look at the other things in your life and you're like, they just don't compare. Like, I can't care about them with the same heart desire that I used to. And in a way, you actually view them in a way more healthy way because you don't find your hopes and dreams in them. You can simply love people for people, work a job for the job, and find everything you need in the Lord. When it comes to our house, um, Tara and I would like to think that our standards are fairly high and that we we park on those standards. And with grace and truth, we lead Silas um, to, to grow and to be disciplined. But I'll tell you what, we get knocked off that standard pretty quick when a little two-and-a-half-year-old manipulates you to pieces, and he does. Matter of fact, if you came to our home, you would see this probably on a a pretty regular basis. Hey, buddy, Silas, it's time to go to bed. And then he falls on the ground, and he just curls up, and he cries uh, because that's the worst thing ever for him is to go to bed. It's worse for us than him. He doesn't even know it. Anyway, and then you see... I'll say something like this, okay buddy, one minute you can play. And he'll immediately say this every time, he'll say, how about three minutes? And I'll say one minute, he'll say, how about two minutes? Not even three years old, he already knows how to play the game. With food, we got a whole plate for him. Silas, you need to eat your food. By the end of it, Silas, just eat one strawberry and we'll get down from the table. See, it happens so easy, because when you compromise just a little bit over here, and a little bit when you say, God, I want you, and you're the only thing I want, and then in a moment of weakness, you're like, gosh, but that, that's just enjoyable over here. I'd like to pursue this a little bit. So now you've got one hand on the Lord, and then you're over here, and instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're dragging Jesus' arm to bless whatever else you got going on. God, I need you. And so your whole prayer life, your whole devotion life has switched and changed. The tone has changed. It doesn't have the, God, I love you. I want you. I need you. I want to experience you. Those go down and the, God, I need you to bail me out. God, I, I don't know. I want you to I want you to show me, do I take this job? And then you don't quite hear. And so you take the job and then you, you, you're you like, oh, I kind of like it. But then you're moving and you're living in a new city and you're like, oh, I don't know. Before you know it, you're saying, God, how did I get here? God, bail me out of it. And he's saying, you abandoned me months ago. You haven't told me you love me in six months. You're so consumed with me bailing you out of your idolatry that you don't even know what my heart is anymore. So we've got to make sitting at Jesus' feet our priority. It's a slow fade. For some of us tonight, what you gather from tonight is that you need, you need to scrap a whole bunch of things. You need to not only break uh, physically from them, but you need to emotionally and on a heart level break and become detached from some things that have had your heart way too long your idea of what the perfect life is for you, what the perfect job, what the perfect situation, what the perfect relationship is, and they need to break, and you need to quit finding your hope, and you need to say, you know what? The only thing I've got that I know will not abandon me, the only thing that I know I can find fulfillment is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and falling back in love with the God who showed his amazing love by dying on a cross for me. I've got to devote myself to him. I'll tell you what, if that was... Even for one or two of us, what we took from this. The world could be changed. Certainly your world would be changed. Verse 15. And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress. For the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. So finally, Saul's got exactly what he wants in life, his old boy Samuel, to tell him what to do. You ever hear something you didn't really want to hear? Saul does. Verse 16, And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you, and become your enemy, the Lord has done to you as He spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. See Samuel's still a prophet even after death, because you did not here we go, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore, the Lord has done this day to you done this thing to you this day. Remember last chapter, David, he fought those Amalekites and he demolished them and Saul didn't when he was told to. He did exactly what God told him to. That's what David did. Moreover, the, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines. So this is getting bad. You, you just called me out on my past. You're calling me out on what's going to happen tomorrow. We're going to lose this battle. And oh, by the way, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. You're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. Third thing we see, if you're seeking God and not just relief, is it's going to be proven by obedience. If you're seeking God and not just relief, you're going to be, it's going to prove itself through your obedience. You see Samuel tells Saul, basically, you want to know why you don't hear from God? Because you don't follow him. Have you, you ever been deceived growing up? Maybe you're like in the seventh grade and there's that girl or that guy and you're like, oh, I kind of want to date them. And then before you know it, you get enamored with them. And then before you know it, you're trying to ask them out. And then before you know it, one of your friends comes and says, they don't like you. They don't like you. And you're just crushed. Samuel's telling Saul, You don't hear from God because you don't have a relationship with him. You've been deceived and you've tricked yourself into thinking that lip service to God is what he truly desires. Thinking all along the way you can be disobedient, 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 and then seek him for a little bit before you stray again. And then compromise by doing the exact same thing he told you not to do. And then you're wondering why you don't hear from him. It's because you hate him. With your life, you hate him. And Saul's caught off guard, <laughs> like, hmm, this is weird. I thought God would just <laughs> bow down to my every needs, and I could do whatever I wanted and treat him however I want. You see, he thought maybe he could believe and seek a little bit without obedience, and God would be okay with it. I think there's a lot of Christians who think by showing up on Sunday morning, by saying, hey, I believe... I've always believed and then live their lives completely radically far from God and think that somehow God's cool with that. This morning I was at the Smoky Hill Villa it's a low-income apartment complex that our grow group has adopted, meaning that uh, we reach out to, we pray for, we serve in any way we can. Every grow group that we have um, is challenged to adopt a neighborhood, a people group in the city, and say, we're going we're gonna to pour into them. We're going to show them the love of God. We're not going to abandon them. We're going to serve them and see what happens. And so, Every month I go and, and we do just a little worship service. There's maybe five or six people there and they come. A lot of them don't have vehicles. They can't go to church. None of these people will probably ever come to Crosspoint, but we're being the church with them and taking the church to them. And, uh, and I, I, I bring the gospel to them and help them to uh, know how to reach out to their neighbors. And so we always have a good time, but I did something different this morning. Instead of a devotional and the Lord's Supper, I said, you know what? Let's just talk. How's your relationship with God? And there was one gal. There's one gal who is 60 years old, and she, uh, when she, she's always doing, like, puzzles or whatever when we show up, and she never stays, but for some reason she stayed today. And when I asked, how's how your relationship with God? She piped up first out of all the people, and she broke down crying. She said, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And so I ministered to her, and we all poured into her for the next 20 minutes or so. And when it came time to take the Lord's Supper, uh, I explained what the Lord's Supper was. And I went around, and I said, you don't have to take this, but if you want to, it's available. And when it got to her, she said no. I took it to everyone else, but I, was, I felt prompted to keep teaching as I was giving this out to people. And so uh, I was teaching, saying, this, you know, this is um, something that every believer can partake in. This is proclaiming the Lord's death. This is a, a beautiful, sacred thing, and so on and so forth. And I was going to put everything up, and she said, wait, I got a question. She said, you said this is a command? And I said, yeah, Jesus tells his disciples to do this and remember to him. What commands does he have? And so I got to share with her what, what Jesus commands his, his people to do. And I, and I couldn't say them all, but I, I'm rifling off some things about basic faith and, and obedience. And she said, well, I got another question. Can you not take that, that, that communion thing and still, still believe? And I said, well, yes and no. Technically, your salvation is not based on whether you take the Lord's Supper, but it's a privilege. And people who believe in Jesus follow Jesus. They obey. Belief and obedience are tied together. And so this is a privilege. We get to do this together. So yeah, believers take the Lord's Supper. I said, do you want to follow him? She said, I'll take that. And for the first time in her 60-year life, she took the Lord's Supper with us. morning and by the end of the day she was uh, hugging and crying some of the other believers there and it was a beautiful thing but it made me think how many how many Christians (laughs) how many Christians ask that same question in their own heart and don't even know it can I believe without being obedient can I can I not do what he wants me to do and still be good with him how silly it sounds coming out of our mouths right And yet, that's what we do all the time. You see, none of us truly pursue things that we don't intend to act upon. You don't pursue a relationship unless you're willing to act upon it. You don't pursue a job unless you're willing to take it. You don't pursue things that you're not willing to act upon. And yet, somehow in the church, it has been, it has been commonly accepted to be able to seek, right? Seek God without fully giving our lives to him. And God's saying, you don't understand how this works. Because the end result of truly seeking God and not just relief will always be full devotion to God. It will always be obedience. Obedience will be the evidence of truly seeking him. And the evidence of, listen, the evidence of seeking relief with the banner of God on top of it is an endless search. An endless quest. Let me, let me just ask you this. What are you actually obedient in? I know that sounds weird. But if everything was stripped away, and even cultural Christianity was stripped away, so it doesn't matter necessarily that you come to worship services or not, but what in Jesus' commands? To love one another, to serve one another, to abide in him. Well, I mean, tons of commands. What do you actually obey? You want to rip your own heart up a little bit. Make a list of things that you know he's commanded you. And if you don't know him, dig into scripture. And say, am I, am I actually obeying? He says, forgive. Am I, am I forgiving people? He says, love. Do I love my neighbor? There's a big difference between treating them nice and loving them. Do I, do I live in him Am I actually obedient? Do I actually follow Jesus? Because if you seek his heart, you'll be devoted in obedience. Last but not least, verse 20. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you, and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. That that morsel of bread. That's going to be important when we see this last point. He refused and said, I will not eat. I will not eat eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and listened, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. And now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it and took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. What did they go do? They went to go fight. Fight their own battle. Last but not least, Fourth sign we see, we'll have to move quickly through this last part. If you truly seek God, his heart, and not just relief from your circumstances, you will repent. You will repent. So first off, this meal is symbolic in that just a few chapters ago, we see Abigail, who's blessed by God, present this amazing meal to David, who's blessed by God, tending for him when they were hungry and they wanted to take part in a feast. And now you see this woman cursed by God, tending to Saul, who is cursed by God. All kinds of symbolism within this book. It's amazing that after all of this, after all of this, now Saul, completely aware of the reality of his condition, falls on his face. But does he fall on his face before the Lord? No. He has the chance to repent He's going to be dead within 24 hours. And everything that Samuel told him in life that was going to happen, happened. Even when Samuel's dead and comes back for a split second, still affirms that he is saying truth. He's saying, you're going to be dead, you and all your sons. Saul has a chance to repent and he doesn't repent. It's another sign that he truly wasn't seeking God. He wasn't seeking God. You see, when God convicts your heart of sin, you have one of two responses, repentance or self-pity. Saul chooses self-pity. See, Jesus, Jesus is better than relief because relief at best is a change in your circumstances temporarily or a change in your pain temporarily. But those things will come back, will they not? And Jesus is better because he gives new life. He changes things. He gives new life and it is eternal. And more than any of that, Jesus is better than simply finding relief because God, again, isn't just the giver of gifts. He is the gift. He is the gift. That's why Jesus is better than relief. He's not just eternal. He's not just new life. He is the gift. He has the gift. So I want to give two quick things to us as we see, and we leave here tonight, seeing what does it look like? What does it look like to truly seek God? The first one is to deny yourself for God's glory. You see, the invitation of Jesus isn't just to find rest in him, although that is beautiful and amazing. It's also tied to this invitation. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. How often? Daily. Daily. It means you've got to choose. You've got to choose to follow Jesus. Every day you've got to deny yourself. You've got to, listen, here's the beautiful thing. People who die to themselves don't need the same relief that they once sought. Because they're not prodded to protect a life that they've died to martyrs don't typically say I'm begging you stop (laughs) but they typically throughout history not all the time they typically they go they die because they're not invested in protecting a life that's not theirs anymore When you focus and intentionally invest in the things of God and you start living for his glory, relief cannot be your concern anymore. His glory will always be your concern. You will look at all your circumstances through the lens of his glory, not your pain. And now all of a sudden, your pain changes things. You say, someone else can, can be blessed. Someone else can, can find hope through what I've experienced because I'm going to tell them how good Jesus is, how amazing he is in the midst of my pain. And so everything changes. Maturity in the faith is growth and self-denial for the sake of God's glory. You've got to leave your old life and invest in a new life in his glory. So, how do you do that? You reorient your time, your energy, your life. Some of us in this room tonight, we are not reoriented to the kingdom of God. Everything God has given you in your hands, they can be used for his kingdom. Everything from opening your home to, for hospitality purposes. Doesn't necessarily mean you sell your house. just means you use it for his glory. Your relationships can be used for his glory. Your job can be used for his glory. It's reorienting the things that he has given you for the sake of expanding his kingdom. And the second and last thing I want to say if you want to truly seek God, you've got to taste and see. You've got to taste and see what was offered to Saul at the very end. Here's a morsel of bread. A morsel of bread. Eat it. Eat it. And Saul says I will not eat. Repentance is realizing you have messed up. You have biffed. You've made mistakes, but now your mind is being changed that God loves you. He wants you. His heart has been poured out to humanity by what he has done in sending his son to the cross and giving us new life through his resurrection. And he's saying, I am. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. That means you eat of it. You got to taste and see that this Jesus is better than what you originally came to him for. He says, I am living what? Water. You got to drink of it. Again, I'll I'll say it again. Some of us, we need to give God our first fruits of our day. When you say, "I'm going to be devoted, not just asking God's blessing or His provision, although those things might be nice, I'm, I'm just devoted. In the morning, I'm going to wake up, and before I even go on with my day, I'm just going to bask and sit at his feet and tell him, "I love you. I know I make mistakes, but I want you. I want to know your heart. I want a heart relationship with you." And you've got to taste and see. You want to know why people do the wrong things in life? Because they're deceived and thinking those are the best things for them. And we as the church can't sit back and condemn and say, stop doing bad things. We as the church say, we've got something better. Let me give it to you. Let me break the bread. Let me give you the living water. When you taste and eat, when you drink of it, you will not have to be told not to do this or not to do that. You will want to. You will want to follow the Lord. I don't know what God's saying to you tonight. I hope this message is clear. Relief is good. It's not bad, but it's not the best. Jesus is the better relief. Seek his heart, and you will find the best part of the gift of God is that intimate relationship. Let's pray.